Support for this Returns on Investment podcast comes from Wonder Capital, an easy way to invest in solar energy projects across the U.S. With Wonder, you help finance renewable energy and earn up to 7.5% a year. To learn more, visit wondercapital.com ROI. That's Wonder with a U. Wonder Capital. Invest in solar projects. Do well and do good. From Impact Alpha, this is Returns on Investment, a show about impact investing. I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company LiquidNet. I'm coming to you from New York City, and just across town from me in a WeWork phone booth is Imogen Rose Smith, an investment fellow with the University of California. Hello, Imogen. Hi, Brian. Uh, And joining us from Impact Alpha's world headquarters in the San Francisco Bay Area is David Bank, editor and CEO of Impact Alpha. Hi, David. Hey, both of you. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well, thanks. So today we're gonna talk about innovative finance. No, we're not talking about the complex derivatives and collateralized debt obligations and other opaque financial engineering that contributed to the financial crisis that began almost a decade ago. And we're also not talking about former Federal Reserve Chairman Paul Volcker's observation that the only useful financial innovation of the past several decades was the ATM. Instead, we're talking about all the ways those interested in achieving social inclusion and environmental sustainability at scale are using the tools of finance to create new investment products and mechanisms that mobilize private capital for impact. David, you've been covering a lot of these innovations for Impact Alpha, from payments for ecosystem services to blended finance deals that stack different types of capital. What is driving these new models? Well, what may be driving the new models is the explosion of incubators and accelerators for developing those kind of new models. So there seems to be kind of a a boom on for this kind of thinking. I think it kind of goes in waves between, you know, financial innovation for good uh, uh, to, you know, oh, what we really need are, you know, plain vanilla, you know, bonds that everybody can understand. And we're, I think we're in one of these innovation uh, swings of that cycle. Maybe it's the blockchain effect or what have you. But we've been just seeing a a rash of these portfolios of quite interesting deals. And I will say they're not, frankly, all that innovative. What they are is applying, you know, more or less tried and true practices, but in new areas and in new ways. So a lot of times it's credit scoring for borrowers of various sorts, small business borrowers or renewable energy project borrowers who now can get financing through some new facility that uh, that ensures something that makes it less risky for the investors or um, or they're lending to, you know, you know, one is, you know, auto rickshaw, electric, electrifying our auto rickshaws in, in India so that rickshaw buyer rickshaw drivers can both own their own vehicles and also reduce carbon. So, you know, there's lots of um, innovation going on that effectively is finding ways to finance progress on fronts that, you know, impact investors care about. Let's leave it at that for the moment. So, David, you are, of course, our, our starry-eyed optimist, but Imogen, as our resident curmudgeon, why should we be skeptical of innovative finance? <laughs> <laughs> you really, you, you, those are her choices. <laughs> why, why, skep, why be a skeptic? Be, be fully committed or fully skeptical. There's no nuance, no in-between, Imogen. Imogen, you can play against type. I, I, I know, I, I do occasionally. 
I think that there have been some interesting, innovative finance developments in impact investing, right? Like, sort of by definition, what impact investing is talking about is how do we take the tools of the capital markets and apply them to things that have a beneficial impact. And, you know, I think things like social finance bonds and various other innovations have been successful. My problem <laughs> with the whole innovative finance conversation is we should just call it regular finance, right? Impact investing gets caught up in complexity for the sake of complexity. And a lot of this is impact just sitting in its own little playground coming up with more little impacty things to do and as a result none of this stuff ever scales none of this stuff is really stuff that large asset owners regular investors are investing in impact continues to become this little playground of its own as opposed to being part of the regular conversation of finance and investing and i uh, feel like this okay. a lot of the time just eats into that Oh, now we found an area of radical agreement because I do agree <laughs> that it should just be called called finance. And in fact, finance has been you know innovative, you know, so called for for quite a long time. I mean, the thirty year mortgage was a financial innovation of its day. So, um, so, the, so, so the question then becomes right: like, why did the thirty year mortgage lead to the creation of the mortgage market? Why why does this kind of financial innovation fail to create markets at scale? And like, because that's, if, if that doesn't happen, you're not driving capital at the rate that we need. So, so why, okay. you know. No, I, I, no, I, I agree. That is, I mean, you've put your finger on exactly the challenge, which is the scale question. And we've been, we've talked about SDG unicorns, which are fi these financial mechanisms that can reach a billion dollars. And obviously we need, you know, trillions of dollars. You know, people talk, talk about $2.5 trillion a year to finance the sustainable development goals and we can't even David, get these David David are you we down with the STGs? <laughs> I know I'm supposed to know that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm down with the SDGs. How does uh, it go? Yeah, How does you it know go? Me. Yeah, you know me. You know me. I'm down with the SDGs. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> We'll have, we'll have a training offline, David, on that. But it's the SDG, Sustainable Development Goals, also known as the Global Goals. Yes. Yes. Um, so you need, to, we always say you got to get, before you can get to the trillions, you got to get to the billions. And these things haven't even gotten to the billions. So the question is, which ones are going to get to the one billion and then 10, 100, you know, trillion? And what I think happening in this world of these innovative finance accelerators or incubators is that some things are reaching say a hundred million right so there was a tropical land um Tr tropical uh, landscapes financing facility there you go um in in indonesia and it, and it raised 95 billion dollars and basically it's not that complicated but it's it finances a sustainable rubber uh, production in Indonesia puts aside, you know, land for wildlife, you know, involves the community, all the good things that that impact investors would want. I mean, we'll obviously have to keep an eye on whether all that stuff plays out in the end. But the notion is, how do you finance that kind of holistic sort of solution? And they raised $95 million for it. So the other things, there's the, you know, um, Climate One in uh, that mostly funded by European investors, um, 
that has raised close to 500 million. So things are not yet at a billion, but they're getting into range of a billion. And that's, I think, what's getting people excited because once, so you, knock, once, is, you, hammer right, down, I, once you hammer down the basic structure and you get the first few deals done, then you can scale it. And, and I think that a lot of these, I think a lot of these funds, a lot of these ideas are interesting, right? And I think that they have a place in the, the impact investing ecosystem. But for the most part, that place is, you know, it's foundations, it's PRI money, it's government grants. It's not what we consider, you know, traditional slash institutional investing. And the reason is the economics don't work, right? Like a $97 million fund is not an institutional fund. In order to actually run, you know, you need to be talking about, to, to make it work, you need to be talking about 250 million, right? And so the, at that scale, none of this, all of this stuff basically has to be subsidized in some way. And you have an entire finance system that exists. Why don't we use that instead of creating, again, complexity for the sake of complexity, which in addition results in layers of fees on top of fees, which eats, which eats into returns and perpetuates this argument that this stuff is somehow like not finance and is special and is different when what we should be talking about is, can this be a part of what the the overall investment universe is about, right? right. Well, well, but, that, but, that's but, a great but, point. But, so, but Imogen, Imogen you, you are <laughs> voicing exactly the questions and challenges that are being hammered out every day in these very enterprises. This is exactly what people want to do. And the so question is, is how do you, the exist. question is, you can't start, there. you can't start a bond program at the, at the $5 billion level that the, um, you can't, st you can't find the value in these ecosystem services, for example, and start it at the scale. You have to start small, prove it, build it up. And so you, so all of these other innovations started small as well. They now you think of them as institutional grade, but they were, they started as somebody's financial innovation. And your point is very well taken. And the question is how to hammer the complexity. So the, be the best example are green bonds themselves, which are now a hundred billion dollar a year, Thing. That's not a trillion, obviously, but it's it's not near, only a billion either. And they started also quite small, only about eight or 10 years old. And you, people argue about how deep the impact is. But to your point, it's something that got rolling and, and has achieved scale and is now, in fact, the model. I mean, a lot of these things are effectively just the next stage of green bonds. Social impact bonds, to, to your earlier point, actually the opposite model. They've been around about the same time as green bonds, and they haven't even gotten, I think, past the the half billion dollar mark. So not everything scales, as you say. A lot of things do have too much complexity and too many fees, but the winners win and they get and they go to scale. Okay, we're gonna take a quick pause now for our message from our sponsor. When we come back, more on innovative finance and discussion around who's behind uh, some of these deals. Returns on investment is supported by Wonder Capital, an easy way to invest in solar energy projects across the US. Wonder's investors have financed solar projects that offset nearly 75 million pounds of carbon dioxide emissions each year. Visit wondercapital.com ROI to find out how you can invest in solar and earn up to 7.5% per year. That's Wonder with a U. Wonder Capital. And we're back. 
Uh, Imogen, David laid out a case for the need for these kind of innovative finance models, and you laid out your skepticism, but what would you propose we do instead? How do we actually attract and mobilize that private capital for these impact projects? I think that, you know, instead of, you know, financial innovation for financial innovation's sake, Maybe the conversation needs to be more around how do we plug into the bigger economic ecosystem? We don't talk enough about how do we create a market, right? We talk a lot about, oh, look at this little innovative thing that we can do, but we don't talk enough about like, how do we get you know armies of bankers printing this stuff and actually being part of the existing capital markets and the existing investment systems. Like, how do you come up with things that hedge fund managers are like, hey, that's a great idea. Let's invest in that. How you know, we, I have my, I have my short answer to that. What's your short answer for how we, how we uh, align incentives and create the right incentive structures to encourage massive amounts of capital coming into the space? David, we're all ears. Impact Alpha. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm actually serious. I mean, the, 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 the 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 easy questions are you know solved by the existing structure the, the 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 ones that are interesting for people who want who think they have some special insight or special secret sauce special solution for to offer the world are the hard problems and these are the hard problems and that's why they're complicated and the fact that they're complicated and hard means that that these investment bankers can actually earn earn a living I mean otherwise they're just you know no better than a you know than a bot you know selling an index you know you know an index ETF I mean and if they Yep, and you're and making, so the bankers, the bankers like this stuff because it it does drive up it roll up fees, as you say, but it also opens up new areas. And you know, there's a whole world now of you know alternative credit scoring, so that you can make loans to people and, and businesses that didn't used to be you know uh, lendable. You know, um, you know, we we joked about blockchain, but you know, people have you know very grandiose notions of how that's going to change the the landscape. I mean, things are coming online now and are possible that were not possible three, five, ten years ago, and that's an opportunity for, you know, you know innovative young finance And so that's, that's kind of my point, right? Like, impact doesn't, like, do you believe that impact investing should be its own little separate playground, or should it suck it up and just play with the big boys, right? Like, and I feel like there's a way... Those are not, the, those are not, the, those are not the two choices. It's the point of the spear. It's the, it's the future of finance, and the future of finance is going to be different than legacy finance, and so therefore it has to have some level of innovation and do something that you couldn't do before, and that's what these folks are, are trying to but, do. But, but David, to, to Imogen's point, who, who's behind some of these new models? I mean, we have the Rockefeller Foundation with their Zero Gap Initiative. We have Convergence, based out of Ontario. We have the Climate Finance Lab. Uh, and th these are organizations getting support from the government of Canada, from the City Foundation, from Ford Foundation. So these are, uh, to Imogen's point, these are more, uh, while, while doing interesting, innovative, groundbreaking work, uh, they're more from the traditional aid and philanthropy space as opposed to from the traditional capital market space. So, uh, you know, to, do you think that in Imogen's framing, some of these efforts are doomed to fail because they aren't born out of a traditional capital markets framing? Or do they need to be incubated by these more philanthropically minded and financed organizations in order to then reach scale in the true capital market? So do we need like a, uh, using an agricultural analogy, do we need an impact nursery in order to get people to uh, to get these plants to the in, to the capital markets farm, um, or uh, do we need to kind of keep them in their own special garden? 
<laughs> well, I mean, I think it's kind of both and as usual, which which is, yes, many of these things will fail and the ones that, that get hammered out will grow up and become commercially investable. Um, yes, they have had uh, the usual you know, suspects of foundations and development banks and, and government backing um, to get off the ground. But the notion is that, you know, that supplies the early capital where there is a lot of structuring and there is a lot of overhead and technical you know, issues that have to be hammered out and regulatory, you know, frameworks and, and all the rest of that stuff that does cost money and that, you know, somebody has to pay for it. It's a, frankly, it's a subsidy to those very commercial investors. And they're happy to have it because when they, when they get these opportunities to put money down, they, they'll, they'll have more, more places for their money to go. So, um, so, you know, I think this is in fact, exactly the market building, you know, process. Now, you know, you can always, you know, have better examples and worse. And that's what, that's what, you know, that's what the market's going to sort out. Right. I mean, it, the Rockefeller Foundation, their zero cap initiative alone, I believe they have 30 different models uh, in their portfolio that they are piloting, incubating, experimenting with. Here's uh, one example. Here's one example. Payments for ecosystem service, very wonky term. We've, you know, people have been talking about it for decades. And frankly, a lot of the pushback is exactly what um, what Imogen has said, which is, you know, not investable, not, not institutional. Um, there was just a peer-reviewed study in, 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 in Nature Sustainability Magazine that toted up how big that market has become and came up with a number that was $36 billion to $42 billion a year in payments for ecosystem services. These are ways that you value the clean air, the clean water, the biodiversity, the you know, all the things that nature provides. Right. We, you know, we're, for, all, we're all well familiar. Imogen and I are well familiar with the chant that nature reduces risk. So there you go. Yes. There you go. We could we could reprise it right here. But um, uh, but in any event, I don't think anybody knew that there was that much money at play. Now, one of the interesting things there is that um, the biggest uh, payor in the payment for ecosystem services marketplace globally is China, the government of China, which pays out something like, we actually underestimated it, but apparently something like $15 billion a year so that farmers convert hillside land back to forests, so that forests get re, that logging bans get enforced, all these things that create, you know, healthy forests and watersheds and biodiversity habitats and all that, um, because there's value to that, uh, you know, in, you know, you know, flood reduction in, you know, mudslide avoidance in watershed, you know, water quality, all these, you know, things. And there's a marketplace now and there's a marketplace in China, apparently that's quite that's quite robust. So Imogen, you, you deal a lot in the institutional investing world and you, you, you deal with I mean, your organizations uh, that you've been a part of, you know, help uh, mobilize, you know, over 100 billion dollars uh, uh, and have long term investment horizons. Uh, what what do you see that's most promising? If you can, you know, while still wearing your curmudgeon hat, uh, what what are you most optimistic about about uh, more of these commercially minded mainstream uh, uh, fiduciary duty bound uh, asset owners and asset managers? Why why are they getting excited or interested in some of these deals and opportunities? Or what would uh, in, in incentivize them to do so? You know, I mean, I think that broadly speaking, and we've talked about this in the past, like you are seeing larger asset owners take sustainability seriously. And increasingly, you are seeing them start to look for investment opportunities around, you know, the sustainable development goals and, and other factors. So, you know, clean energy is an obvious one, right? Like what, what, and you're seeing like, you know, 
solar investments, you're seeing there, there are developing investment opportunities. That, and that's kind of my point. Like when institutional asset owners, when large asset owners look at this, they look at it within the traditional financial ecosystem. And I think the real opportunity is how do you identify investments that look that provide different return, return streams that look different. I mean, it is, you know, it's, it is the impact alpha point, right? Like, ah, ding, 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 you... ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if, if China is financial of like, you know, clean energy innovations, how, how does that become something that a money manager that's seeking returns can actually invest in? And then the question becomes, okay, to, to what extent does the end asset owner need to or want to have a social conscience, right? I have a fiduciary duty. I'm a long-term asset owner. Therefore, you know, I believe broadly in the trends around sustainability. Is that enough? Well, I mean, I, I think that's an interesting point because, you know, you do have this need, you know, the skepticism of, you know, of, of these things, but you also have these large asset owners, at least some of these large asset owners now, you know, because of their public statements and commitments and whatnot, actually looking for places where they can put big money down. And so then you do create a, a demand, as we, as we call it, for the supply of these, of these financial financing structures and, um, you know, ones that do have a track record to have a have a you know solid ability to execute these kind of deals lower the cost lower the fees all that stuff you know will be able to start getting bigger checks from bigger institutional owners because those bigger institutional owners need to place some money on impact or at least on sustainability or sustainable development goals or whatever their marketing department got them to to, to put out an announcement about um so so there's kind of is, I think, that there is kind of a demand-driven part that's of why, now. That goes back to my point of I don't know that we need all of, like, the, there's enough complexity in the capital markets already. Like, are we going to be investing in the, the new innovations coming out of the Rockefeller Foundation or the Ford Foundation? Or are we just going to be, you know, I mean, are we just going to be investing in, like, you know, CLOs that, or, or stuff that's already out there? I, I, like, well, but... But Imogen, that's a, that's a bit like that's a bit like the technology folks saying when the you know when the first you know PC comes out you know you know you know you know or, or, or what was the famous one you know IBM said there'd only be a need for like you know six mainframes in the in the in, uh, in the world or something I mean no I, I, I agree I agree with that point <laughs> but like the idea that like the like what why does the the sort of the the impact investing community think that it's going to be better at financial innovation than the finance community, like it doesn't. No, make... it's not. I don't think the impact investing community knows any. Is you know, I think I think what's happening is that, you know, we're we're about to come up on on something called the Kellogg Morgan Stanley Sustainable Investing Challenge. I think it's going to be in London this year, and those are MBA stu teams of MBA students who cook up these kind of financing solutions, and um, you know, it's been going for six or seven years, and some of the funds and facilities created in that competition are. Go, go, you know, still going and, and growing and turning into real things. One of them we, we've we've talked about here has to do with um, for uh, forestry restoration. Another one has to do with um, uh, restoration of brownfields in old industrial cities. I mean, there's 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 you know there's the 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 business schools are on fire with this stuff, and and the folks at the big banks are also always looking for something new to do as well. So it's not something separate from the finance world. I wouldn't say. 
Right. But I also think that, you know, the, the real challenge here is to, you know, imagine this future vision, which you both have articulated, uh, that, that it's not just about impact as its own special uh, garden, but this future vision of finance and the future of uh, investing. Uh, and this future vision is that it would be unacceptable uh, to invest without regard to how that investment's has an impact on people and the planet. And it has to be unacceptable, not just from a moral dimension, but also from a fiduciary duty or even legal requirement yeah. to invest yeah. without regard. So it can't just be a, a moral or personal or subjective uh, measure, but it has to be from a fiduciary obligation. Uh, you have to uh, be aware of and take into consideration the non-financial impact uh, of your investments on people and the planet. Well, and it's it, and 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 just to be just to be just to put a point on that because that's exactly right. Um, there's both the downside risk, which you have to take account, or you absolutely have to take account as a as a material risk factor, and then there's you know whatever the upside opportunity is from this very wonky ec economics term of internalization of the positive externalities, and that is you know that's actually a, a long way of saying impact alpha. That's when you can get paid for the positive things that your investments do, um, then that will create the flywheel. And that is the market making mechanism that you're talking about, Imogen. Yeah. And so that the question is, you know, how do we get there? Right. And the answer is in part all of the above. Right. Like, I do think that all of these, you know, labs and think tanks and innovations serve a purpose. I, I think the, the danger and sort of where I get grumpy is this sort of like, you know, the sort of, the, the, I think that there are sort of stakeholders out there who have a vested interest in, you know, keeping the impact garden small and sort of the, the big fish in small pond syndrome. And I think that there is, there can be a tendency to want to consistently reinvent the wheel because the people in the reinventing the wheel business get to feel good about themselves through doing that versus, you know, the, the more prosaic and boring part of just getting on with finance and investing. Right. Well, I think we've, I think we, you, you had all of the above. I had both and, and with a caveat of it all bears a lot of watchdogging and scrutiny. I think we've actually arrived yeah. at agreement. Yeah, I, I, and all it took was David using the phrase the internalization of the positive externalities. Uh, what, to, to <laughs> we should have a drinking in. game around that. Yeah, I think that's our new T-shirt. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, for now, that's going to do it for uh, this episode of Returns on Investment. Thank you, David. Thank you. And thank you, Imogen. Thank you. Good to be with you both. Special thanks, as always, to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. This podcast has been a production of Impact Alpha. Be sure to sign up for Impact Alpha's newsletter, The Brief, providing daily news and actionable intelligence for the growing number of people working to build an inclusive, resilient, and yes, prosperous future. From New York, on behalf of David Bank and Imogen Rose Smith, I'm Brian Walsh. Thanks for listening to Returns on Investment.